I want to tell you a personal story. I was called to full-time ministry while I was finishing my sophomore year at university. I was finishing up a degree in corporate finance, but I had no desire to use the degree in any way. I just wanted to be a pastor and I wanted to preach. Well, there was a battle going on. I'm trying to finish up school, but called to the ministry. So the question that literally plagued my mind was this, do I leave my last two years at university and go into the ministry, or do I finish my degree? How do I even know what to do? What are my next steps? So I asked God and then went to his word for guidance. But there was the problem. I couldn't find the word university in the Bible. I am looking under use. I even tried C for college. It wasn't even there. So I prayed, and as I was reading the Bible, I did. I did discover the word university in the Bible. In fact, I discovered that the Bible was telling me to stay in business school and finish up my degree. Some of you may be asking, well, Pastor Tim, where is the word university in your Bible, and where did you get that Bible? I found the word university in Ephesians 6.2. Here's what it says. Honor your father and your mother. That was it. My father always wanted someone in our family to graduate from college. The lights went on. I've been looking for specific words, but God began to guide me really from a 30,000-foot view and said, as you honor them, that's why you're supposed to say. I believe this. When you read the Bible, you hear God better because God sounds just like his word. See, if we don't read the Bible, the word of God, then what happens is you end up giving equal weight to every voice that's around you. Columbia University Research Center has found that the average person makes about 70 decisions every single day. I mean, if that doesn't get you, then, then listen to this. Let's add those up. That's 25,000 decisions a year. And after 70 years of being alive, you're making 1.7 million decisions in your lifetime. That's why what one man said is absolutely true. I'm not a product of my circumstances. I'm a product of my decisions. And that's why I just don't want to make good decisions. I want to make God decisions. I want you to make God decisions. In fact, I believe another name for God decisions that I want us to begin to deal with today is the will of God. And this is an important day to deal with it. I know um, here we celebrate a holiday called Valentine's Day, right here on February 14th. And I think speaking about the will of God is important on a day like today. See, the will of God is doing exactly what God wants me to do when he wants me to do it. See, God's will is not what I decide to do and think it's best and then say, God bless what I wanna do. I can't have the will of God without God. If you want to know, Jeremiah begins to lay this out. Listen to these powerful words by Jeremiah. He says, oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. That's why I can't make that decision without God. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. That's a powerful verse that we need to get literally just, just engrafted in our hearts. That means I need God's help to make decisions. God has to be involved. I just heard a story this week of a young rising star in the U.S. Navy. In fact, he was a first officer on the Navy battleship, and they crossed the Atlantic. Happened a few years ago. He had an impeccable training record, and, and the captain saw it, 
and assigned him after they went across the Atlantic to take the boat from the harbor they were in, the dock they were in, and begin to bring it back to the U.S. port where they launched from. So when this first officer stood up there, the deck was buzzing, everything moved in textbook fashion. The Navy destroyer made its way out impeccably. But while the ship was moving slowly into open water, one of the crews said to the young man, who's just successfully navigated out of the harbor, brought this this incredible uh, uh, giant piece of floating steel of powered right into the waters, says, you have a message from the captain. But it was a little weird because it was on the radio. The captain said, young man, you've done an excellent job. Said you did it with great precision, according to the book, but there's one unwritten rule you have overlooked. And the young man sat there with a pause and he said this. He says, the next time you set sail, make sure the captain is on board before you leave ports. Make sure the captain is on board before you leave the port. That really is a word for us today. Don't head into the future without our captain. Don't head into the future without knowing what does our superior officer, Jesus himself, saying to us. It was one of the most dramatic conversion stories on how a murderer becomes a Christian. It happened in the middle of an afternoon. There was a bright light. A man fell to the ground. A voice, an actual audible voice of the resurrected Jesus spoke. And on that day, the man who had become considerably the greatest Christian that has ever lived was converted. His name was the Apostle Paul. Think about this. If God spoke to you audibly, what would you say to him? Or really, what questions would you ask him? That day, Paul asked the resurrected Jesus, who he was in conversation with on that road to Damascus, two questions, which literally are the very best questions. Here is what he said. One, who are you, Lord? And the second question he asked was this. Lord, here it comes. What do you want me to do? See, the answer to the first one made the second one non-negotiable and easier. Let, let me read to you the conversation and I'll explain what I mean. This is Acts 9, 5 through 7. Thinking about the will of God, what God wants you to do. Listen to these words. And he said, Paul said to, to the Lord, the voice, who are you, Lord? Here's the first question. Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with them stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. See, this is what's so powerful. This is what we have to understand. Because he is the Lord, that's dealing with the first question, then I do whatever he wants. I have to declare what the first question is. Who are you, Lord? And if he is Lord, the boss, we talk about that at the end of every sermon every week, to confess him as Lord, the boss, the one who is in charge. And because he is the Lord, then I do whatever he wants. That means, you ready for this? Who he is then guides what I do. And then this was what makes it easier. Whatever he asks me to do, I do it because it's called the will of God. See, for Paul, it was this. The very first step was, Get up, go to this city, and it will be told for you what to do. Paul didn't sit there and wait. Well, you tell me. Paul just said, Paul literally just did exactly what he was told to do. That's verse eight. So Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he couldn't see anything. And leading him by the hand, 
They brought him to Damascus. See, God already had a man prepared to pray for the Apostle Paul and all, and we literally begin to prophesy of what was going to come to his future. That what was taking place was as he obeyed the first thing that he knew he was supposed to do, the first thing, which was, Paul, get up, get up, go to a city, and you will be told what you do. There was no question. Since he's the Lord, who he is guides, guides now my next steps, that whatever he asks me to do, because he is the Lord, I do that because it's called the will of God. So Paul obeys the first step, and all of a sudden, God has everything in place. He starts to put everything in place, and that was what makes this so powerful. See, obeying the will of God connects my past and my future. I, I love what David Jeremiah says. He says, when you follow God's will for your life, you can see how yesterday's events prepared you for today's challenges and even tomorrow's opportunities. That's when you follow God's will. Or let me put it to you this way. Obedience, now, now get this, obedience unlocks good decision-making for the future. It really does. Psalm 111 verse 10 says it like this. The way to become wise is to honor the Lord. He gives sound judgment to all who, here's that four-letter word, obey his commands. He is to be praised forever. He gives sound judgment to those who obey his commands. See, obedience and life direction are tied together. Disobedience clouds mine and your judgment and even good decision-making. Before deciding on a life course, I think it's important that all of us check where we are with our obedience. One of the great preachers at the turn of the century, J. Wilbur Chapman, said it like this, anything that dims my vision for Christ, takes away my taste for Bible study, cramps me in my prayer life, or makes my Christian walk work difficult is wrong for me, and I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. That is so powerful. What he was basically saying was this, I am checking my obedience level to make sure that I have sound judgment on my next steps for the future. Paul took that. Go to the city and you'll be told what to do. But how do we know God's will? I think we start with obedience before we start with all the questions that we need to answer. We start with our own personal obedience before we start unpacking all the questions. And there are so many questions and decisions that we have, like Columbia Research, that's 70 a day, 25,000 in a year, or 1.7 million in a lifetime. Questions like, where should I live? What should be my career? What should be my degree? Should I go or stay in New York City? What college should I go to? Does God want me to go to Summit International School of the Ministry? Do I buy this house? Do I rent this apartment? Do I even, here it is, Valentine's Day, date this guy and go out to dinner? Then it gets even bigger. Do I marry him or her? I believe, I think God has a personal plan for everyone's life, but there is no way to know it if we have not obeyed what is plainly stated in God's word. So I wanna show you something that is plainly stated, I believe is God's will in the Bible. I truly believe that when I took these two verses seriously that I wanna share with you today and obeyed them, took them seriously and obeyed them, God made my university decision that I share with you in the beginning 
much easier and clearer to me. I truly believe that those two, these two verses that I'm gonna share with you made my university decision something that was not even a struggle with me. See, I think I want you to see today that there are two will of God verses that are so clearly spelled out in the Bible. And Paul's language that you're gonna see today in the scriptures is Paul is, is actually gonna say, literally going to say, for this is the will of God. In fact, it's gonna be two things that seem so apart, so far apart from each other, but I do think that there is a connection and they're closer than you actually think. I believe you do these two clear things, these two clear things called the will of God, then the other decisions of wanting the will of God will become even clearer for you, the next steps. See, focus on obeying what is clear, and then I believe that what is unclear literally becomes clear. I know that's a lot of words, but I really believe that. And that's why the clear will of God verses right here in the book of Thessalonians are significant. This is a brand new church. That's what makes this exciting and even made it jump out to me. See, the Thessalonian church is only a few months old. It's entering a brand new season of existence and Paul is helping those new converts, two month old converts to navigate new territory, making obedient decisions right in God's will. I started to think of it this way. I wonder if we don't know more of God's will for our personal life, all because we've not done the will of God, what is clearly spelled out in the scriptures. See, sometimes I think we don't get more specific future instructions because we have not obeyed what is clearly written for us right now. Or another way of putting it, doing number one will of God verse and doing number two may literally get the future clearer for you. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? What do you mean by number one and number two? You'll see it coming up. What I mean by number one and number two is taking 1 Thessalonians 4.3 and 1 Thessalonians 5.18 very seriously. Because the question is this that I kept asking myself, why would we be given more direction if we can't do the two things that are right in front of our face? Why would God go, here, do this. Here's some more direction for you, even though you won't even do what's actually clear. And so I had to ask myself the question, am I doing one and two? Am I being obedient to one and two? Are you being obedient to one and two? And some of you going like, tell me what one and two is. See, why would be entrusted with more um, if we can't do what's right even before our eyes? When our children, our four children are given kind of those, those moments of more freedom in their life. I remember whether in their traveling part, when they're traveling alone, whether it was traveling by car when they got their license, um, whether it was walking to an event or taking the subway to event, they knew what the clear will of Cindy was in those moments. They knew what the clear will of Cindy is. Text us at every interval when you get there when you get to the subway stop, when you get to the connection airport, when you get through TSA, when you get to the ball game, um, the high school football game, Texas, when you get there. And what they knew was this. They knew the clear will of Cindy, that if you do what is clear, then you get more trust in the future as, as you begin to do what's simply before you. See, the clear will of God is summed up like this in these two verses. Here it comes. Stay pure and say thanks. Stay pure and say thanks. Paul is about to deal with two important areas 
that he's gonna deal with sexual purity and thanksgiving that doesn't even seem to be connected, but he's gonna give you the clear will of God in two verses for this young church. I wanna read them to you and let God begin to speak to our hearts today. Here's clear will of God, number one. First Thessalonians 4, 3, here it comes. It can't get, it can't get any more clarity than this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. When you look at the Bible, lust is often compared to a fire. Solomon does it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul does it. In fact, he encourages people um, to begin to take note of when that burning, they call it burning with lust. See, the fire comparison is really apt. But what they're telling us, Solomon and the Apostle Paul, is fire is incredibly powerful It's amazing when controlled, but destructive when it's out of control or uncontrolled. And what they were saying was immorality is like that. Lust is like that. What basically they were saying was fire in a fireplace, that's awesome. Fire in your kitchen or in your living room, you got big problems. See, God designed sex. And I know this is gonna be, this is gonna be, some of you really need to hear this, to be expressed in the context of the covenant of marriage. Now folks, that's the fireplace. That's the confinements. That's that's the, the parameters that God gives us. See, and what he was saying was, you can choose to express yourself outside of the parameters of that covenant of marriage. Listen, you can express, you can choose to express it outside, but you can't choose the outcome and the consequences when you do that. That's important for many of us to hear today. You can choose to express yourself. You can choose independently and go rogue and express yourself outside the parameters of the marriage covenant, but you can't choose the outcome and the consequences. And there may be some of you that are listening today saying, Pastor Tim, that's too hard. I love what one missionary said. They said this, God never said doing his will would be easy, but he did say it would be worth it. And I'm telling you, it is worth it. So let me be clear. I wanna be very clear today for those that maybe have decided to become born again over these last few months to maybe Christians that have forgotten the clear will of God. Here it is. Sexual immorality is having sex with someone you are not married to. Engagement doesn't even count. And I wanna, I wanna challenge you. I want you to listen. If you're doing that right now, stop. If you're living with them right now, stop. It's not God's will. God defines it as immorality and he calls it sin. And as your pastor, I'm compelled to make clear the will of God, which which if we're walking out of it, it becomes dangerous. Or as that C.S. Lewis said, he said, to walk out of his will is to walk into nowhere. And when we begin to do that, when we begin to violate the clear will of God, I think, and not become obedient according to, to Psalm 111.10 that we just read, I believe every other decision becomes cloudy and unclear because the will of God is not inside of us. And God goes, if you can't obey what I'm making clear to you, why would I entrust you with all the other decisions? See, I love them, Pastor Tim. Doesn't change the parameters of what the Bible says. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't begin to fix those parameters. Why? Because I love what Jesus says more than even them. If you love them, it's not that sex or, or immorality is the next step, but marriages. 
One person put it like this, dating with no intent to marry is like going to the grocery store with no money. You either leave unhappy or take something that isn't yours. That, that's what it is. So, some people have asked me this question. Why does premarital sex even sabotage marriage? This is gonna get some people mad, but it needs to be said very clearly. One of the first questions I'll ask in premarital counseling is I'll deal with the immorality issue. Why? Because this shows whether they're in love or not. Pastor Tim, are you serious? It's not, it's not me defining what love is. It's what the Apostle Paul did, 1 Corinthians 13. He gives a whole checklist of what love actually is, and this is what he says. The first thing he says on it, love is patient. And, and my challenge to them is, if you're not patient now, man, then love is suspect here. There's, there's no guarantee because you failed question number one on the test. And if you can't wait until marriage, when things are good, what happens when the marriage even begins to go through difficult situations? This, is, this I know, is hard for some people to hear today. I have to just do what the Bible tells me. I'm trying, I want your future rescued. And I believe it's by us doing what the clear will of God says. See, when you and I take 1 Thessalonians 4-3, seriously, I believe now this is what I, I want you to hear. I think this temptation gets more intense. When you and I take first Thessalonians, this verse, this is the will of God, our sanctification. I think the temptation gets more intense. Why, why, why do you mean? This is what Solomon says. Solomon deals with this, and I want you to hear his words. Solomon speaks about an adulterer and who she, adulteress and who she is calling. It says that she sits, Proverbs 9, 14, and 15, she sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those, this is the adulteress, calling to those who pass by, and then he defines who's passing by, those who are making their paths straight. Did you see what just happened? That man that's trying to make his path straight is trying to be lured away. It's not, it's not the promiscuous. It's the one trying to make their path straight. I, I have watched young people, I've watched students, I've watched college students, I've watched people with incredible careers all the way to single people, single parents that haven't been married anymore, literally blur their future because they didn't take 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 seriously. This is the clear will of God. That's what it says. Folks, I, I just want your future to be a future of pleasing God. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? He tells us what he wants us to do. He gives us the clear will of God. And let me close with this. He gives the clear will of God number two. Here it comes. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and it says this. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will for you in Christ Jesus. It's only two places in all the New Testament that I see that God spells out, this is my will. I, I, I'm gonna show you one more that I think we can add to the list at the very end. But Paul wrote to this Thessalonian church about 54 AD while he was staying in Corinth. And it was the first, stay with me now, it was the first letter of all 14 letters that Paul wrote. First Thessalonians is his first letter. What Paul was saying in his first of 14 epistles, I think we should take notice of. See, what Paul was doing was he was spelling out in this first letter to very new Christians, this is the will of God. 
Paul tells the new Thessalonian converts, stay pure and say thanks. He's, what he was challenging with was, I want you to thank God no matter what happens. That's why it says, in everything and not for everything. Those, those, are, those are important words. To say for everything would almost seem to be inhumane. No one can say uh, in everything better than I think than Johnny Erickson Tata, this incredible Christian woman who is a quadriplegic, who has spoken here at Times Square Church. This is her saying this from a wheelchair with no use of, of, of hands and arms and feet and legs. This is what she says. God isn't asking you to be thankful. He's asking you to give thanks. And she goes, there's a big difference. Try to hear her words from a wheelchair. Try to hear her words as a quadriplegic. One response involves emotions, she says. The other is your choice, your decisions about a situation, your intent, and your step of faith. Thank you, Johnny, for that. Because for that. what she was basically saying was this. Thankful is an attitude. Giving thanks is a choice. And if we can make that right choice, taking 1 Thessalonians 5, 518 seriously, then what happens is this, then I think sometimes our choice may even turn into our attitude. But we have to take the first choice of saying, in that, I can still give thanks. Because you can always find something to give thanks for. Well, I'm thankful, thanks for. Are you serious, Pastor Tim? What if, I, what if I'm driving to work? What if I'm, I'm driving and all of a sudden I get a flat tire? How, 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 do, I say, how do I say thank you? It's, it seems terrible that I had a flat tire. How about this? How about thanking God that he gave you a car to get a flat tire with? How about, how about that one? How about, how about God gave you a job to pay for the car that got you a flat tire? Or how about this? God gave you a, a jack in the car from the job that he gave to you. That's called in everything we give thanks probably the craziest thanksgiving or thankful that ever happened is only said in it has been only said in this place by only one man with strange sounds organs of the of the body beating and and thinking this has to be the craziest place to say thank you let me read the words to you but i will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving you know where that's found here it is it's jonah 29 Jonah in the belly of a whale is giving thanks. You can't give thanks for a flat tire on the side of the road. You can't give thanks for a late train. You can't give thanks for a late flight. Can't give thanks for, for, for the things that are happening around you. This is Jonah in the belly of a whale that says, I'll sac sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. If Jonah can do it, we can do it in any situation we're at. It's his commentaries that have touched so many people's lives. It's the famous English Bible scholar, Matthew Henry, who once was attacked by thieves and robbed of his wallet, or they called it his purse, on his way to church. And this is what he said. Let me be thankful first that I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, although they took my all, it wasn't much. And fourth, let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. Boy, he taught us something there. He taught us that we can be thankful in everything, from, a, from, a, from, from being in a wheelchair to a flat tire, to even being tested positive for COVID. Who knows what God is trying to do in everything? In COVID, I'm thankful. In a, 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 a difficult situation, I still could be thankful. I, I, see, and I believe 
It's God's will to thank him. This is important before you ask him for anything. Thank him for everything before you ask him for anything. Listen to Philippians 4, 6. Making your requests known, here it comes, with thanksgiving. To thank him before we even ask him. I think thanking him purges our asking. I think thanking purges asking. And when we're not thanking him, then I think our, our, our asking sometimes can get out of line and amiss. Without thanksgiving, the request is, is literally just a, a, a checklist of do this, do this, do this, heal this, run here, do this, give me this. If we ask without giving thanks, I think we ask amiss. I just, I, I asked the Lord when I was reading just these two verses to a new convert, two months old in the Lord. I had this question after reading the Bible. Why wasn't there more verses that said, and this is the will of God? I, I mean, these two, why, why didn't you give us 10 verses so we could just obey that? And here's what's crazy. We know God's will, but I'm not even sure we're doing number one and number two, which is God's will. That's the challenge that I got. It says, Tim, I, I, w- I want you to take sexual purity seriously, and I want you to take giving thanks and everything seriously. And if we can't get those two together, then I think all of a sudden everything begins to become muddy for our future. Can we just obey those? Let me share one more that I think we can kind of put in there that I think we could say is part of the will of God. It's 2 Peter 3.9. Peter ends his letter like this, and I want to end today with this. He says, this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. He's speaking to the planet, not willing. We can kind of throw in there, that's God's will. Not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance or the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think that not willing part is kind of the negative standpoint of saying that this is the will of God for you for this planet, for every person to be born again. That's the will of God for you. It's the will of God for me, that we would walk in a brand new relationship with God. I don't don't think we can give thanks in everything without God. I don't think we can begin to walk pure in a world that's, that's calling for our attention without God. I don't think we could stay pure or say thanks without God. I don't think we could be successful in life because the Bible says that we read in Jeremiah, the way of a man is not in him. It's not there inside of him. So how do I fix that? I've got to, I need God in my life. I need God to be part of my life. I need God to become my life. I need a relationship with God today. Jesus calls that relationship being born again. It's the most important question I can ask you. And that's this, have you been born again? That's the relationship. That's God's will for you right now. While some of you are struggling with questions, do I take this job? Do I I change my major at university? How about let's do what's very clear. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone come to repentance, to a brand new relationship with God. And God defines that relationship. Jesus defines that relationship as being born again. John 3, 3. Jesus said these, these, these powerful words. He says, no man can see the kingdom of heaven. No woman, no student, no Wall Street, no Wall Street trader, no professional athlete, no, no ambassador can ever see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. 
Boy, this sounds like the will of God to me. Sounds like the will of God when Jesus says in John 3, 5, Jesus says it, who cannot lie, you must be born again. That sounds pretty close to a will of God verse, even though it doesn't say that. And Pastor Tim, if this is what Jesus is asking, if he's saying must, then what do I need to do? How do I become born again? It's as simple as A, B, C. And in fact, when we get to the C letter, we're gonna begin to kind of find ourselves on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? Just stay with me. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God. It's when all of us realizing we have a condition called sin. That's why we can't find the right way inside of us because it's not there. We find the right steps, the guiding steps, our future, we find it only in him. So we've got to deal with that sin issue inside of us by literally admitting that we're a sinner. And we can't fix ourselves. You can't fix it by promising. You can't fix it by going simply to a program. You can stop the consequences. You can try to fix the consequences, but you can't fix the root of it. We need help to fix that. I'm broken inside, and the, and the, and the diagnosis is called sin. Well, Pastor Tim, then what do I need to do? That's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son into the world to fix my sinful, your sinful condition, because I can't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then God would never have to send his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for us. If I can get myself to heaven by being good, then why would Jesus ever have to come and die? But it was Jesus becoming my sin bearer. It was him taking my sin upon himself and dying for me. It was he died the death I was supposed to die, live the life that I, I couldn't be expected to live. I didn't have the power to do it. And gave me a reward, forgiveness, heaven, eternity, a right relationship with God that I didn't deserve. And here comes the final one. A, admit, B, believe, and C, confess him as Lord. Remember those words? Lord, Acts chapter nine, who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Confess Jesus as Lord. That's exactly what Paul did. See, that word Lord means boss, means you're in charge now. That means what you want me to do is I do that because of who you are. Who he is guides now what I do. That's that's his, God's goal. God's goal is to go, let me be in charge. I don't want a day of a week. I don't want two hours on Sunday. I didn't come here to ruin your weekend. I've come to change your life. This, the Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come, John 10, 10, to give life more abundantly. That's what he's come to do because he is Lord. Now, whatever you ask me to do, I want to do. And that's his, he's not willing for you to perish, but to come to repentance, to come to be born again today. And today could be that day. Being born again is a relationship. Going to church is a religion. Giving God two hours on a, on a weekend, that's religion. But being born again says, God, you don't get, a, you don't get Sundays. You get every day because now you're in charge. And just... Jesus uses that term born again because he was saying to us, just as you had, had, had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. And that can happen right now. Wherever you're at, wherever you're listening to this, I don't, it doesn't have to be, even be on a Sunday. Someone may have shared a link with you when you're listening to it. You may be here in New York City. You may be around the country, even around the world. You may be listening today from Nigeria. You may be listening today from the UK down in the Caribbean, you may be in Mexico, wherever you are around the world, God is speaking to you right now, to someone in the Ukraine right now. You must be born again. Let's obey the clear will of God. 
Pastor Tim, how do I do that? I want you to pray a prayer with me. And that prayer is gonna begin to admit that we're a sinner, believe that Jesus is the only one that can fix me from the inside out. And today we declare like the Apostle Paul who started the greatest journey of his life, you are Lord. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. Come on, would you pray this prayer with me? Maybe it's a husband and wife praying together. Maybe it's a single dad who has his son with them for the weekend going, son, let's pray this together. Let's start a brand new journey together. I want you to pray this with me, come on. I want you to make a decision today to be born again. Pray this with me out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I am so excited for the decision you just made. This is, this is so powerful because what you did was you made a decision on the clear will of God. And I'm just telling you, you watch what God has for your future. You obeyed what Jesus has asked you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make just one step for me. You're gonna see it on the screen. If you've prayed this prayer, I want you to text the word decided, D-E-C-I-D-E-D, -E -E decided. Whether you're on a computer and you text it, or you're gonna be on your phone, text the word decided to 51000. That's 51,000, text that. Let me tell you why that's a new number and why this is important. Because we have just devised a brand new curriculum to help you on next steps. The first week, once you text this in, you're gonna get each day four five or six minute videos to help you on your next steps. They're gonna to come to you in succession. And then over the next six weeks, you're gonna to begin to get checked up. The people are gonna check on you. You'll get a text, you'll get an email just to make sure that you are taking those next steps. We're so excited for our team that, that wants to lead those who have decided, those who have made the greatest decision you can ever make to be born again. And it is our honor that we get a chance to walk with you and help you on those next steps. Just text decided to 51000, decided to 51000. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.